Why did God the Father send God the Son into the world? Well, if you read through the Bible, you'll discover that there are many correct answers to that question. Yes, his, his coming was all in fulfilment of God's plans and purpose. Uh, yes, ultimately, God the Father sent God the Son into the world to save sinners from eternal condemnation and punishment. And so we could go on answering that question in similar vein. But there are many things that are involved in Jesus achieving all of that and fulfilling all of that. And it's described and explained in the Bible in a variety of different ways. This message this morning is the first of six in a series that I'm simply calling Why Did the Father Send His Son? And we're going to consider six things that Jesus himself said regarding his own coming into the world. And the series will take us right through to the Sunday before Christmas. But first of all, it's important that I state something very clearly, very plainly. Because in the question, why did the Father send his Son? There is something that is implicitly expressed there. And it's this that God the Father did send his Son. There's actually a whole series worth of doctrine there. We could actually unpack that, make a whole series out of it. That God exists at all in order that he can send his Son is explicitly there within that question. That is assumed in the question that God exists at all. That there is but one God, yet he exists in three persons, each of whom is fully God, Father, Son and Spirit. All of that is tied up in the question. This unfathomable deep about the Godhead is the truth which the Bible declares. Indeed, the Bible tells us that all of God's creation declares him. And that each of us, even though we might try to suppress it within ourselves, each of us knows in our conscience that God is. In, in times of trouble, in times of distress and helplessness, times when we are confronted with our own mortality or with the mortality of those who we love, so many people instinctively find themselves turning to God, speaking of prayer, when ordinarily they would never dream of praying. 
But you see, everybody knows that God is. And, and this is the truth with which all of us must grapple. And if you don't do it in this life, there is a day approaching when God himself will confront you with his existence and his being and his person. Jesus came into the world so that you can be ready for that day. The Lord Jesus Christ is, as we declare in many Christmas carols that we sing, he is the eternal God who has come into the world in human flesh. All of this is uh, presumed in this question that we're asking, why did the Father send the Son? So in, in six weeks' time, uh, people all around the world hopefully will be able to sing if they're not, they'll at least be able to listen to it. They'll be singing words such as this. Shepherds in the field abiding, watching o'er your flocks by night. God with us is now residing. Yonder shines the infant light. God with us. Emmanuel, that's what that name means child in the manger, infant of Mary, outcast and stranger, Lord of all. He came down to earth from heaven, who is God and Lord of all. The famous carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, was written by Charles Wesley. And a lesser known carol that he wrote says this. Glory be to God on high and peace on earth descend. God comes down. He bows the sky and shows himself our friend. God, the invisible, appears. God, the blessed, the great I am sojourns in this veil of tears and Jesus is his name. All the Christmas carols are all about the fact that God the Father sent God the Son into the world and his name would be called Jesus because he would save his people from his sins, and he is Emmanuel, God with us. But let's look more deeply into this question. Why did the Father send his Son? And let's consider some of the things that Jesus himself said about his coming into the world. Well, one of the first times that Jesus ever talks about the reason for his coming, he tells us that he came into the world to preach. We read it in Mark chapter 1. Let's go into the next towns, he says, early on in his ministry with his disciples. 
that I may preach there also. Because for this purpose I have come forth. And likewise at the end of Luke chapter 4, which Amon read for us a few minutes ago. Jesus said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. And Jesus was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. Now, when you think about the ministry of Jesus during those th three years, roughly, that he was ministering before his death, you might be tempted, perhaps, to concentrate on the miracles that he performed. A lot of the people who were there at the time did that. And that was one, of the, was one of the problems with many of the people of his day. They were just excited about the thrill of the spectacle of these tremendous things that Jesus was able to do, like healing a man who couldn't hear or speak. And they just wanted the thrill of some more. But actually, it was preaching and teaching that lay at the heart of his ministry. The miracles that he did, they were signs which would validate his authority and his identity. But why preaching and teaching? Why was that so important? Why does Jesus say that that's the very reason that he came? It's because the Bible and the Gospel is all about God's eternal and unchanging truth revealed from heaven to earth. And this is what Jesus came to preach about. And I want to say three things this morning about the preaching of Jesus. Now, more than this could be said, but these are the three points that I want to highlight this morning with you. The first is this, Jesus preached the kingdom of God, which he also calls the kingdom of heaven in some places. They're one and the same, not two different things. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. He's not talking about a physical, geographical place here on earth. In John 18, chapter 30, uh, John 18 verse 36, he tells us that. My kingdom isn't of this world in the way that you think of other kingdoms. But rather, Jesus is referring to a spiritual kingdom. It's a spiritual community of people who live under God's grace and under God's authority. God is king in their life. He, he sits on the throne of their life, on the throne of their heart, at the very centre of their being. He is ruling over them. Jesus speaks of this kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, beginning in Matthew chapter 5, uh, and he starts it by describing what kingdom people look like. 
He, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, they'll be comforted. This kingdom's a place of comfort. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they are the ones who will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, because God's kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness not sinfulness. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's describing what the, the lives of these kingdom people look like. This is how they live. This is the kind of nature that they have. These are Christian people. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake rejoice be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven they're looking heaven heavenward this is an eternal kingdom that that they are part of and they're, they're looking forward to that time when they'll be with god forever in christ jesus speaks of this kingdom in many parables this kingdom consists of those in whom the word of God takes root, takes root in their soul and produces spiritual fruit. It's the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils. It requires a man or a woman or a boy or a girl to be like a man who finds treasure hidden in a field or a trader who finds the most glorious, wonderful, expensive pearl that he's ever seen. That treasure, that pearl, they're not his at the moment, but he can see only too clearly the wonder of it and that it's of far greater worth than anything else that he currently possesses. So he goes and he sells everything that he has in order that he can have this one thing. That's what it's like to be part of this kingdom, to be part of God's kingdom. This is the kingdom that Jesus was preaching about, that, that men and women and boys and girls would see that to be, to be there, to belong there, to belong to God, to know the Lord Jesus Christ is the most wonderful, glorious thing that you could ever have or know, and that you would surrender anything and everything in order that you might have that. All the things that are only temporary anyway, you would willingly lose all of them in order that you might have that thing that you can never lose. This is the kingdom that Jesus came to preach about. It's a kingdom where in the lives of all the people who live there, there is evidence of repentance from sin, 
and there is evidence of a righteousness which comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not the kind of righteousness that the Pharisees used to boast about. Theirs was self-righteousness. Theirs was a boasting in themselves and the things that they had done and achieved, so they thought. But no, the Bible says there are non-righteous. Not one. This kingdom that Jesus came to proclaim, this kingdom consists of people who, like the tax collector in the parable that Jesus told, they bow their heads before God in repentance. And they turn away from their sins and they cry out to God for mercy as they confess themselves to be a sinner before him. They're the kind of people that Jesus came to speak to and teach. They're the kind of people that get into God's kingdom. Whenever Jesus preached about the kingdom of God, he preached about repentance. But how do you actually get into this kingdom that Jesus came to tell us about? How does this become real and personal for you? That you can be part of this, this heavenly kingdom. That you can be a citizen with God and know him. Know that you belong there. Know that you have a home there. Know that you have a place there. Know that there is a welcome for you there. Well, it's the answer that Jesus gave to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I say to you, unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is the flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. It's a spiritual kingdom and it requires a spiritual work in the life of anyone who would be there. Kingdom people that Jesus came to speak to and to speak about, they are those in whom God works by his Holy Spirit and he does a life-changing renewing, regenerating work of grace. This is what you need, Jesus said to Nicodemus. It's what we all need. This is, what, this is the message that Jesus came to proclaim. When the Spirit of God enters someone and casts out their sin and the the captivity that they've been held in by Satan. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. That's what this kingdom is all about. Now in the immediate context that Jesus was speaking in in Matthew chapter 12, he's talking about uh, the casting out of demons there. But it's equally true in the Spirit's work of bringing the new birth to bear upon you. And with this new birth that the Spirit brings comes new spiritual insight 
and understanding. And it leads to repentance. And it brings the gift of faith, which enables belief and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as Saviour and Lord. It's a kingdom of grace and forgiveness. A kingdom of peace. And we're told in Luke chapter 17, the kingdom of God is within you. Because it's this internal rule and reign of God within you. This is what Jesus came to preach and teach. This is what every man and woman and boy and girl needs. This inner working of God by his grace within each one of us. This is what it means to be a member of God's kingdom. And it's on account of this work that God has done within you that you become the kind of person that's described in the Beatitudes at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus says, to such as these, the kingdom of heaven belongs. These are those who are in the kingdom. In chapter 6 of Matthew, Jesus will go on to describe kingdom citizens as those who seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. They're seeking after him. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells a parable about the wheat and the tares. Jesus pictures those who are in his kingdom like wheat which is being planted in a field but amongst the wheat there are tares. The tares are weeds that at first glance can actually look a little bit like wheat but they're not wheat and he presents us with this picture you're either one of these two things. You're either the wheat or you're the tare. You're either in the kingdom or you're not in the kingdom. And you might be someone who has certain things about you that looks like you're part of the kingdom, but you're not. God knows those who are his. And in that, possible, in that parable, Jesus teaches that on the day of Christ's return, he will gather in only the wheat. He knows those who are his. They'll be gathered in to him. None of them will be lost, but every single tear will be separated out and all the tears will be bundled together and burned. And where will the wheat go? Well, they'll be gathered together to live and dwell forever with Christ in his kingdom because they're his kingdom people. All of these things are the messages of the kingdom that Jesus came to teach and preach. And it was vital that the people know this. The fact that they are Israelites and Jews, most of them, actually that's irrelevant. You need to have this vital, real, spiritual work going on within you. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 11, 
those who come to Christ, even Gentiles, Jesus pictures them sitting down next to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob because there is only one kingdom. God has only one people, one church of Christ. They're all one and the same. This is the kingdom spoken of in the Old Testament. God's covenant with King David was that one of his descendants would reign as king over an everlasting kingdom. This is the kingdom promised and prophesied in uh, Isaiah chapter 9, speaking of the child who would be born and of the son who is to be given and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David over his kingdom to order it, establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. It's an eternal kingdom and it's an inheritance for all believers. This is what Jesus came to preach. This was his priority in his ministry, that you need to know this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This was what Jesus came for. This is what he came to preach. Are you a member of his kingdom? Have you heard his voice? Have you heard his call to repent and turn from your sins and to trust in him? Have you had that life-changing work of his spirit within you that you may enter his kingdom? He came to preach about the kingdom of God. And secondly, he preached with unique authority. Matthew, Mark and Luke, we saw it in verse 32 of Luke chapter 4, they, they all record that the people were astonished at the authority with which Jesus spoke. Now there are two main reasons for this. Number one, they were actually listening to the voice of God. Yes, they were listening to the voice of a man, but they were listening to the voice of a man who is God. And secondly, they were listening to divine, eternal, unchanging truth. And they were astonished at the authority with which Jesus spoke. They could not help but notice. Uh, later this afternoon, some of us will be considering the issue of talking about truth in a postmodern world. Well, for those of you who'll be there, and for those of you who won't, here's a brief taster session. We live in a world which says there is no such thing as absolute truth. There is no fixed line against which all other things are to be measured and contrasted and compared and judged. No, no, no. You can't be rigid and dogmatic 
about what is and what isn't and about what is right and what is wrong. No, no, no. You must decide for yourself what seems right for you. And that then is right for you. And everyone else must accept it. There was a singer on TV the other day, a person born male genetically. But the programme presenters were not able to refer to him as him because they, that is he, has decided that they, that is he, is gender neutral. And so no one can say he or him or his, but instead must use the word them instead of him, they instead of he, and their or theirs instead of his. Confused? No one has the right or ground to refuse to do that or to call it out as wrong or to point out that it's grammatically ridiculous to use plural words about a single person. Why should I call him they? You see, we have the position where everyone does that which seems right in their own eyes and therefore, that's how it is for them. And of course, as their view of the world changes, which it often will do, their opinion will keep changing, as we've seen all around us over, over recent years. And then we find ourselves in a ridiculous situation where the world believes that everyone must be tolerated and accepted and it is declared that everyone is tolerated and accepted except for those who stand up and say, no, you're wrong. Because who are you to decide for someone else that they are wrong? That's actually a fair point, isn't it? Who are you, who, are, who am I to decide for someone else that they are wrong? But, you see, there's one huge and even bigger point that they are missing completely, and it's this. It's not me who's done the deciding. It's God. Those people in Galilee and Judea who were astonished at Christ's teaching, they were astonished because they were hearing the voice of God declaring divine, eternal, unchanging truth. It is written, I say to you. That's how Jesus spoke and taught. The startling thing about the New Testament is that despite that being the case, most of them who heard him, most of them who declared their astonishment at his authority, in the end, they actually rejected him. Because actually that's what sinners do unless and until the Holy Spirit moves within them and does a saving work of grace within them, making them a member of God's kingdom. But you see, the Lord Jesus Christ spoke with this authority because he spoke truth, eternal, 
unchanging truth. And you and I, as members of his kingdom, if you are in his kingdom, we are called to go on declaring that same truth. Because as much as the word, as much as the world hates us saying it, there is such a thing as the truth. It's not my truth. It's not your truth. It's the truth because it's God's truth. It's the gospel because it's God's gospel. Jesus is the saviour because he's God's saviour. And Jesus came to preach because there is truth to be preached. And so we do. And we declare it with authority. And we declare it with confidence. And we do so because of its origin. It comes from God. We do so because of our commission to do it, which comes from God. We do it because of that which compels us to do it, which is the love of Christ for the lost. We do it because of that which enables us to do it, which is God by his spirit within us. Above all else, we are to preach what Jesus preached, and as Mr. Olliot reminded us last Sunday evening, nothing comes even close to this. We are to preach the kingdom of God. We are to preach the grace of God in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to preach the need to be born again and to repent of your sins and to bear in your life the fruit of repentance and that righteousness which is of God. And we are to preach, as Jesus did, a message which demands a response. Because just in conclusion, we see that Jesus always preached with urgency. Mark chapter 1, listen to him. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. It's urgent. The kingdom of God is at hand. What does that mean? Well, the kingdom of God is at hand in that it's here right now. And it's being placed right in front of you this morning as I've explained it to you. That's what Jesus was doing, you see. He went around presenting people with the facts and the reality of the kingdom of God and calling them to it. The question is, will you believe it and will you come to be part of this kingdom? The kingdom of God is at hand in that on a day that no one knows or can predict and at a time that no one is expecting, Jesus will return and he will gather in his kingdom people to himself. Those who are the tares will be separated out and they will be cast into eternal fire, which the Bible describes as being a place of wailing and unending torment as the punishment for sin. In the Lord Jesus Christ and in him alone as the perfect sacrifice of God who died in the place of sinners, who bore their torment and punishment for them 
as their substitute on the cross. In him there is salvation and redemption and rescue and hope and peace and eternal rest. This is the kingdom that, that Jesus came to preach. Jesus was speaking to a lady called Martha, whose brother Lazarus had died four days earlier. This is what Jesus said to her. I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is come into the world. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This was the message that Jesus preached. This is the kingdom that he declared. The question comes to you this morning. Do you believe?